Gospel according to St. Luke, the 19th chapter, 19th chapter of the Gospel according to St. Luke, beginning with verse 28. This brings us to the location scripturally that teaches us about the so-called triumphal entry of Jesus. Really, the triumphal entry of Jesus will be at His second coming. But it is nonetheless called the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Amen. Leading up to the events, the week leading up to the events of His crucifixion and resurrection. Amen. Luke 19 and verse 28, When He had thus spoken, He went before ascending up to Jerusalem. It came to pass when He was come nigh to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount called the Mount of Olives, He sent two of His disciples, saying, Go ye into the village over against you in the which... At your entering you shall find a colt tied, whereon yet never man set, loose him, and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, Why do ye loose him? Thus ye shall say unto him, Because the Lord hath need of him. And they that were sent went their way, and found even as he had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, why loose ye the colts? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell ye that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you right now this morning. We thank you, Jesus, for that day that you entered into Jerusalem, Father, leading up to your crucifixion and resurrection. We ask your blessing to be upon the preaching and teaching of your word this morning. God, touch the hearts of people, we pray, not with religion, but with your presence. And everybody said in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. Please go over with me into the prophet Zechariah in the ninth chapter of the prophet Zechariah in the Old Testament. We have a prophecy that speaks concerning this event in the life of Jesus. And this prophecy deals with how he would enter into Jerusalem when he would come and present himself as the king. In the ninth chapter, beginning with verse 9, we read Zechariah 9 and verse 9. I'll give you just a moment uh, to turn there. Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9 is the prophecy 
about the events that we will preach to you this morning. Zechariah 9 and verse 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, and upon the colt, the foal of an ass. So we see Zechariah's prophecy concerning how Jesus Christ would enter into Jerusalem and present Himself as the King. So that's Zechariah's perspective. That's the way Zechariah said that it would happen prophetically. Then you have, in contrast to that, you have the expectation of the religious leaders. And their expectation was different from what Zechariah 9 and verse 9 says. They were not expecting this kind of king to come into Jerusalem. Their expectation for the Messiah was a king that would come that would overthrow Roman power off of their necks. They were looking for a political military king. Something like maybe a Pilate, when he would enter into Jerusalem, he would come with a big entourage, a lot of armies, a lot of soldiers, as he would ride in in military might, power, and strength. That's the expectation of the Pharisees. That is what they want, is that kind of king. A military, political ruler that would overthrow the Roman government off of their necks. That was their expectation. And so we've already looked at three things Wednesday night that got Jesus in trouble. What was it that got Jesus to the cross? Why did they crucify Him? Why did they kill Him? Why was Jesus put to death? We talked about three of them Wednesday. The first one was we saw His authority to forgive sins. His authority to forgive sins got Him in trouble with the religious leaders. The second thing was His authority over the Sabbath, over the calendar of the Jews. And then the third thing, we saw His authority over the law and over the rituals. And that's uh, these things got Him in trouble uh, with the religious leaders. The fourth thing that got Him in trouble that would eventually lead Him to the cross is His authority over the kingdom or His messianic presentation of Himself as the King because He did not present Himself the way that they expected Him to come. Uh, and, and to give you a little idea about the expectation of the Pharisees or the religious leaders or Israel at that time, uh, there was a writing that you may not be familiar with. It was known as the Psalms of Solomon. And uh, that's not in the Bible. That's not something you'll find in the Bible, the Psalms of Solomon. The Psalms of Solomon were written around 68 uh, B.C., around the time that Pompey took over Jerusalem. And, and in that writing called the Psalm of Solomon, uh, we see some very interesting statements which would give us understanding as to why the Jews would expect a military, political, strong king to ride in that would overthrow the Roman government. Uh, and so I'm going to read this to you, and this is going to be uh, Psalm of Solomon, the 17th chapter, beginning with verse 23. Amen. And again, when was this written? The Psalm of Solomon. It, again, not in the Bible. When was it written? I said 68 B.C., actually 63 
B.C., sometime after 63 B.C., when Pompey, the Roman leader, overthrew Jerusalem and took it over. Do you understand? So now the Roman government, the Gentile power of Rome, has got its heel on the necks of Israel. So sometimes after 63, maybe it was 68, somewhere in there, that's when this writing took place called the Psalm of Solomon. Um, I'll start reading in verse 23, but I'll back up first of all and I'll read the heading. It says it is a Psalm of Solomon with a song to the king. Now, this writing, obviously in the time where the Roman government has taken over Jerusalem, this writing gives you an idea of the expectation of Jerusalem and the religious leaders. What kind of king would Jesus be? And uh, it's going to go completely uh, contrary or in contrast to what they expected him to be. And we'll see that as I read it to you. They were expecting a military, political, religious leader to overthrow the Roman governments. All right, Psalm of Solomon with the song to the king beginning with verse 23. It says, See, O Lord, and raise up their king for them, a son of David, for the proper time that you see God, to rule over Israel your servant, and undergird him with strength to shatter unrighteous rulers. Cleanse Jerusalem from the nations that trample it in destruction, to expel sinners from the inheritance in wisdom, in righteousness, to rub out the arrogance of the sinner like a potter's vessel, to crush all the support with an iron rod, to destroy lawless nations by the sword of his mouth, for Gentiles to flee from his face at his threat, and to reprove sinners by the word of their heart. So we see as I read these verses here, the hope of Israel in this writing is that Jesus would come as a military political king. And when he would come, he would defeat the nations that were oppressing Israel and scatter them uh, throughout the world and bring in righteousness. So literally crush the, the Roman authorities. That was the expectation at that time. Continuing to read in verse 28, it says, And he will gather a holy people whom he will lead in righteousness. He will judge tribes of the people sanctified by the Lord its God. And he will no longer permit injustice to dwell among them. And no person who sees wickedness will deal with them. For he will know them because of all them are the sons of God. And he will divide them among their tribes upon the earth. So once again, we see this expectation of a military conqueror coming and defeating the nations and setting up a rule of righteousness uh, in and through his people. Continue to read, it says, and no longer will an ex expatriate or foreigner dwell among them, for he will judge people and nations by the wisdom of his righteousness. Uh, and then there's a musical interlude there, and verse 32 says, and we'll have people of nations to serve him under his yoke. And he will glorify the Lord notably over all the earth. And he will cleanse Jerusalem with sanctification as also from the beginning. For nations to come from the edge of the earth to see his glory 
bringing as gifts its utterly weakened sons, and to see the glory of the Lord that God glorified. And He is a righteous King over them, taught by God. And there is no injustice in His days among them, because they are all holy, and their King is the anointed Lord. For He will not hope in horse and rider and bow, or multiply gold nor silver to Himself for battle, and he will not gather hopes by many for the days of war. The Lord himself is his king, the hope of all the one who is mighty by the hope of God. And so when he would come again, he would expel the Gentiles and defeat the Gentiles and crush them and set up righteousness in the nation of Jerusalem. And so this is the kind of Messiah that they were looking for at the time. Uh, the expectation and hope that they had is recorded in the Psalms of Solomon. But when we see Jesus coming in in Luke 19, by the way, this uh, event is recorded by all four Gospels. So it is very important uh, that we understand it if all four Gospels have written about it. And the Bible says, well, how did Jesus come in? Did He come in as a political military power, uh, powerful king? and overthrow the governments that were oppressing Israel at that time? No, that's not the way He came. The Bible says He came in as a humble Messiah. He didn't come in riding on a white stallion or a horse with an army following Him into Jerusalem to conquer the Roman Empire that was over them and throw them out and spread them throughout the world. He came in as a humble king a humble Messiah, not as one that would do His work or the will of God by strength and power, but one that would do the will of God as a Messiah that would suffer. And so instead of coming in power and strength to get rid of political leaders, He would come and present Himself as a suffering Messiah, a humble, lowly Messiah that would deal with the hearts of the people instead of dealing with political powers at that time and overthrowing them. He would seek to convert the sinful heart of mankind and conquer it by His suffering. And so as we see Him, the Bible says that He is ascending to Jerusalem in verse 28 in chapter 19 of Luke. It came to pass when He was come nigh to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go you into the village over against you, in which at your entering you shall find a colt tied, wherein never, never man set. Loose him, and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, Why do you loose him? Thus shall you say unto him, Because the Lord hath need of him. So here we see Jesus is doing something that is contrary to the expectation of the leaders in Israel of his day. He's not going to get a military a stallion to ride in. He's going to get a little colt, the foal of an ass. Just like Zechariah 9 says. That was the expectation of Zechariah, the way that he would come. And so the Bible tells us that he sent these two out together or to get that colt. And the Scripture tells us if somebody asked, what are you doing? They were to say the Lord, say the Lord, hath need of him. Verse 32, and the Bible says, And they that were sent went their way and found even as he had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto him, 
Why loose ye the colt? And they said once again, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. Notice, this colt had never been ridden before. And Jesus is sitting on this colt, and this colt does not buck, it does not kick, it does not try to throw Jesus off. Again, this shows his authority as a king, that he has authority even over the animal kingdom. That once he sets upon that colt that had never been ridden, that would normally try to buck a person off, that colt allows Jesus to sit upon it without any type of bucking or kicking, trying to get Jesus off, showing us the authority of the Lord over the animal kingdom. And the Bible says in verse 35, they brought him to Jesus. They cast their garments upon the colt. They set Jesus thereon. And he went. They spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now that the sin of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. So as Jesus begins to make his entry into Jerusalem on the back of that colt, there is a huge rejoicing, a huge throng of people. Possibly up to a million people were in Jerusalem at that hour because it was the time of the Passover celebration. So we have literally a million, maybe even more people that are there. When Jesus makes his triumphal entry, it's called, into Jerusalem riding on the back of that ass, that colt, instead of a military steed and not a political power. Here he comes with his disciples and lowly and humble upon this little donkey. And the Bible says as he began to enter in, people begin to shout, begin to rejoice with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. And verse 38 saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Let's go to Psalms uh, 118. And we see another fulfillment of Scripture in Psalm 118, how that this would be done. They would shout to these very words, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. So go to Psalm 118, and we will point that out to you. The Scripture says in Psalm 118, in verse 25, a prophecy is given. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, and now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. God is the Lord which hath showed us light by the sacrifice with cords, even under the thorns or the horns of the altar. Thou art my God, I will praise thee. Thou art my God, I will exalt thee. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. And so we see this prophecy being fulfilled as Jesus rides in. They begin to cry out, Hosanna in the highest, which means save us now. And, and then as the psalm says, I beseech you, O Lord, O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. But following that, we see prophetically that he would be bound to the cross. Amen. God is the Lord which has showed us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords even unto the horns of the altar. So we see the prophecy in Psalm 118, how they would cry out, Save us now, or Hosanna, save us. When they said that, they were talking about, Save us from the Roman authorities. Save us from the Roman power. That was what was in their mind. 
But Jesus didn't come just to save them from political powers that were over them. He came to save us from our sins and to conquer our hearts. And so just as Psalm 118 says, that Jesus, after He rides in and the people will begin to shout, Blessed is He that comes in the name of the Lord. They would begin to shout, Save us now or Hosanna in the highest. The next thing that would happen following that event, the Bible says that the sacrifice would be bound to the altar with cords. And that's exactly what happened to Jesus. And so when you go to Luke 19, you will see it again. The Bible says as He entered into Jerusalem in Luke 19.38, they said, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, this got Jesus in trouble. The way He presented Himself as the Messiah, as the King of Israel, lowly and humble, coming to conquer the hearts of people by suffering instead of military strength and power. This got Him in trouble with the Pharisees because that was not what they were expecting. This was not the one that they would be willing to accept. They were uncomfortable with the way he rode in lowly on the back of a donkey. And so the Bible says their response in verse 39, And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. Stop them from saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Stop them from applying those prophecies to you because we are not going to accept you the way you are presenting yourself as king, lowly and humble. We want a military powerful king that's going to come in strength and defeat the Roman armies. And he will do that in the second coming, but not in his first coming. He's going to present Himself as a humble, lowly Messiah as Zechariah said in the ninth chapter, uh, uh, coming to conquer the hearts and the souls of people by His suffering. But the religious leaders did not like this. This is one of the reasons, the fourth reason, that Jesus got in trouble with the religious leaders. This is one of the reasons why He will be hung on a cross, nailed on a cross, is because the way he presented himself as Messiah and as King was not what they were looking for. They were looking for a different kind of King and they did not accept him this way. So this is the fourth reason that we will, uh, we are talking about today for him going to the cross. Now the response of Jesus to the rebuke of the Pharisees in verse 40, he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. It says, if these people, if they are to stop saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, if they were to stop saying, Hosanna in the highest, which means save us now, and apply these prophecies to me, he said the stones of creation would begin to cry out. And I, I want you to know today, uh, He's looking for somebody in this Palm Sunday as we celebrate it. Somebody that will rejoice in Him. Somebody that will praise Him. Somebody that will say, Blessed is He that comes in the name of the Lord. Somebody that will cry out for salvation, uh, 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 for forgiveness of sin and salvation from 
your evil heart rather than a Messiah that's going to come and give you all that you want in your life. But a Messiah that has come lowly and humble that's going to conquer your hearts and my heart by suffering for us and dying on the cross. This was uncomfortable to the religious leaders of that day. This is not the kind of Messiah that they wanted. And so Jesus says, if they hold their peace, the stones would cry out. Creation would begin to do something that is not normal. You don't normally see rocks crying out the praises of God. But Jesus said, if they hold their peace, creation would do something that would be completely abnormal. Creation would begin to cry out and praise the Lord with a very loud worship. Something that nobody has ever seen. I've never seen a rock begin to speak. I've never seen a rock cry out and praise the Lord. But he said if humanity won't do it, he said creation will do it. What is Jesus saying? He says creation will do something that is not normal for it to do. And creation, if they hold their peace, will testify to the validity of what is happening today. It will testify to the importance uh, that I am the King and I am the Messiah. I may not be coming the way you want me to come, but I am still the Messiah and I am still the King. And if you don't want to recognize it, creation will begin to do something that is not normal for creation to do to testify of the importance of this event and to testify of the reality of who Jesus Christ is. Is there anybody here in church this morning on this Palm Sunday as we celebrate it that would not let the rocks take your place? You would not let the stones take your place. But you would shout unto Jesus, Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. And you would say, save me, Messiah. I need this kind of king in my life. I need a king that will give me forgiveness of sins. I need a king that has come and suffer, to suffer and to die for me. And I refuse to let the stones take my place. But what Jesus is saying is very similar to what happened in the days back in Cain and Abel. When the Bible says that Abel's blood was shed by Cain, that the blood of Abel cried up to the Lord from the ground for vengeance. Blood, natural things like blood, doesn't normally do that kind of a thing. That's an abnormal thing. But God is saying this, that creation will testify if you don't testify because of the importance of this event. That you don't miss it, that you get it today. Uh, this is one of the reasons why Jesus was nailed to a cross. Because this is what got Him in trouble with the religious leaders. They did not accept Him. And so when people begin to shout praises to the Lord like they were doing, the religious leaders felt uncomfortable with that. Religious people are always going to feel comfortable when, or uncomfortable when people begin to shout praises to the Lord. Religious people don't like to shout in the church. Religious people don't like people worshiping God out loud. 
Religious people want it to be done in quietness, you know. Uh, don't get too loud with your praise. Don't get too loud with your singing. You're hurting my ears. I tell you today that if you don't shout the praises of the Lord and you don't say, Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. The rocks will begin to cry out. Creation will begin to do something that is not normal for it to do. I get the importance of this event today. I see the significance of it. And so Jesus is going to ride in very lowly and very humble. This is not what they were expecting. And this is what got him in trouble with the religious leaders. Amen. I'm glad today that I have an opportunity to worship the Lord. Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And so as Jesus comes in, because He did not come the way they expected Him as a politica, political military power, they were going to plan to crucify Him on a cross. And let's go a little bit further and we'll see after Jesus rode into Jerusalem another event that took place that would bring them to the brink. After he rode into Jerusalem, he did something else. And you will see this in Mark the 11th chapter. And, and by the way, uh, praise the Lord, you will see in this also Mark 11, the same triumphal entry at the beginning of chapter 11. But in verse 15, we see right after Jesus' triumphal entry, uh, or his entry into Jerusalem as a lowly Messiah, presenting himself in a way that they did not expect him to come. We see him do something, the fifth thing that got him in trouble. The fifth thing that would cause him to eventually be nailed to the cross. This is the one, if you will, that the straw that broke the camel's back. This is the one that the religious leaders, when he did this, they, they said, we've got to do something about this. We can't allow him to continue any longer. And it had to do with what he did in the temple. And so the 15th verse of the 11th chapter of the Bible says, And they come to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold uh, doves. So this is, uh, the Bible tells us this event took place after his triumphal entry, if we call it that. He goes into the temple and he begins to throw the tables of the money changers over there in the temple. Money is going everywhere. The Bible says that he drives the animals out of the temple. And the scripture tells us that the men that were selling there or exchanging money are removed from that temple as well. Now what is significant about this is that Jesus will show his authority over sacred space. And the religious leaders of his day would have claimed to have authority over the temple. They would say, we have the authority over sacred space. Uh, that's the way they looked at themselves. And all of this uh, selling of uh, the animals and the exchange and the change of money into the temple shekel was making them a lot of money. But it was corrupt. They were thieves. They stole uh, when, when the people came, they charged a, a large amounts of, of, of money just to change the currency into the temple uh, shekel. And, and they sold sacrifices at a very high price. 
So it was a good business venture for the religious leaders of Jesus' day for them to have this set up, and it was set up right there uh, in the temple. And so they felt like that they had the authority over this sacred space and they could do the, uh, collect this money and, and be in a, a thief in a corrupt way. Uh, and so the Bible tells us what happens. The scripture says Jesus goes in there and he cleans the house. He cleans the temple. He gets rid of the sin. He gets rid of all of these thieves and the money changers there. In verse 16, the Bible says, It would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. He taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. So Jesus is showing here that He has authority over the temple. He showed that He had authority to forgive sins. He showed He had authority over the Sabbath. He showed He had authority over the law and rituals. He showed that He had authority over the kingdom. And now He shows He has authority over sacred space. Those are the five things that got Jesus in trouble. And so the Bible says in verse 18, And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy Him. For they feared Him because all the people was astonished at His doctrine. He walked into that temple and He drove those money changers out. This very sacred space. It's the most important location in Jerusalem, in Israel. One temple with for one God. And they worshiped that God in that temple. But they had set up a business in that temple that was corrupt. And so Jesus goes in and begins to clean house. The religious leaders would say, no, it's us that have the authority over this sacred space. Who are you to come in and do this kind of thing in this place? Who gives you the authority to come in here and to do this in this secret space. It's us that have the authority. And if you're going to do something like this, you need to ask us, Jesus, if it's okay for you to do that because we claim to have authority over the temple. And so the Bible says they begin to plot and begin to plan. We've got to get rid of this, this one here. And so they sought an occasion to destroy Him for they feared Him because all the people was astonished at His doctrine. Are y'all with me here? Praise the Lord. Now if we go down a little bit further in verse 28, they ask the question in this same section, and they say unto Him, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority to do these things? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I will also ask of you one question and answer me, and I will tell you, by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? Answer me. And they reasoned with themselves saying, If we shall say from heaven, He will say, Why then did you not believe Him? But if we shall say of men, they feared the people, for all men counted John that he was a prophet indeed. And they answered and said unto Jesus, We cannot tell. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. Well, it's the same authority. The same authority that gave John uh, the, the right or the authority to preach to, to the people to call them to repentance. It was God that gave John his authority. It wasn't the religious leaders of his day that, that gave John his authority. It wasn't some denominational system or organization that gave John his authority. It was God that gave John 
His authority. And so Jesus is saying, if you want to know uh, by what authority I can do these things, it's the same authority that John had. God gave John the authority and God gave Jesus the authority to do what He was doing. It didn't come from men. It didn't come from the religious leaders. They would have said, we have authority over a sacred space. But Jesus says, no, it's God who's given me authority to come in and do these things. And because of these two other reasons... This is what got Jesus in trouble. This is why they're going to nail Him on the cross and, and put Him on that tree and crucify Him and kill Him. What got Jesus there? Why was He hanging on that cross? The way He presented Himself as the Messiah on that Palm Sunday and secondarily, the way He went into the temple and cleansed the temple. They did not like that at all. And they begin to plot and they begin to plan a way to destroy Jesus Christ. And so these are the reasons why ultimately Jesus would be crucified on the cross. He did not come the way that they expected Him to come. And when He came, He cleaned house. He cleaned the most sacred space in Israel's uh, city, the temple. And they did not like that. And so they plotted and they planned to destroy the Christ of God. Let's stand. Father, we come before You right now. And we stand in Your presence, Lord, today. Lord Jesus, we recognize that You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That You have authority, Father God. And we thank You right now for presenting Yourself as a lowly, humble Savior riding upon a colt, the fold of an ass, going to the cross eventually to die for us, to suffer for us as a suffering Messiah. We thank